0: I'm going to dive right in. Is that okay? We have a lot to go through this morning. I only have so much time to get through something so big. Last week, we began our series, Life in Color, where we began to talk about how Jesus told his disciples and ultimately tells us that it would be better, get this, that it would be better that Jesus, the physical presence of Jesus would go away so that the Holy Spirit could come. I don't know what the disciples thought when he said that, but in no time in my life did I ever think it would be better, anything could be better than if I had Jesus standing next to me who I could ask the tough questions to, who I could ask, why did this happen, or what's this going to be like? But Jesus tells his friends it would be better that he goes away so the Holy Spirit could come. Back in the Old Testament, people used to gather together all in one place to hear God from the prophets— it wasn't like everybody heard the voice of God. It was only the prophets, and, it, and they would deliver the message. One man would hear a message, then he would tell everyone else about it. And we talked about how we found it similar back to kind of our old days, where people would receive all their information from the radio. That they would gather around a radio, turn it on, tune the dial in, and then they would hear a message or a story. But just like the Americans in the 1950s who got the black and white TV... Where they could see a picture. The people of the Old Testament go into the New, and all of a sudden, they see the image of God. Jesus comes as the image of the invisible God and dwelled among his people. But then at this last supper, this last dinner with his friends before his death, he goes, I'm going away. I know you love me. I I know all the things you've seen with me, but I'm going away. But don't worry, because I'm going to send an advocate who will be in you and who dwell in the life of the believer forever. That advocate is the Holy Spirit. And he can take a monochrome, bland faith, which is okay, which is good, it has all the makings of faith, but he can make it the best. He can make a life that was black and white and only saw things in a couple of colors. And give it this life of vibrant beauty, this abundant, full 4K color living life. But that led us to a question last week Is there more? Is there more to faith than what we're doing right now? That we can come to this place week after week, and month after month, and year after year. We can listen to the worship songs, we can debate biblical theology points, and all of it's good. It's all good stuff, and we're here together we can still feel like something is just missing. Like there's this ache in our soul saying, really, is this it? I became a quote-unquote Christian. I'm doing the things, but I'm feeling like something is missing. Is this all there is to following Jesus? So when we look at Scripture and we look at just what Jesus described the Holy Spirit to be and who the Holy Spirit is in our lives, is there more than what we're doing? Because it seems like when I'm reading it, there can be. But if there really is more to this, another question that I then have to ask myself, and I think we all have to ask internally, if there's more to faith than this, just gathering on a Sunday morning or just doing devotional, if there's more than this, do I even want it? I don't know about you, but this week I continue to just think and process what would it look like if I really relied on the Holy Spirit in all things? And I'm up here standing here, and I'm telling you, I am not an expert in things Holy Spirit. I'm coming here today to tell you I am wrestling with this. Because I'm trying to learn, and I'm trying to understand, and I'm trying to process, and my desire is to follow after God in everything. But then I get to a point where I'm thinking, oh, that's cute. I'm trying to learn, I'm trying to understand, I'm trying to process. I don't want to just be a person who talks about trying to understand, and tries to talk about learning, and tries to talk about processing. And I don't want that for you either. Wouldn't it be weird? And I'm going to use a sports analogy here. I know I don't get sports analogies right all the time. But can you imagine if a football team in all their costumes got into a huddle? Sorry. (laughs) I know it's not costumes. It's leotards. Okay, so they gather all together in a huddle. And they're like, hey, this is the play. And this is what we're going to do. And you understand what you're doing. I understand what I'm doing. You're going to do this. I'm going to do that. And we're like, all right, break. And then we all run past the field, and go sit on the bench. And then a few minutes later, we run back into the huddle, and we're like, hey, this is what we're going to do, and this is what you're going to do, and do you really think this is the best way to do that? And then we run back to the bench and sit down. How do we actually get in the game? But then, is it even as complicated as we're making it to get in the game? How do we get more out of our faith? Or rather, how do we experience the fullness of our faith that's already been extended to us. But also, I think if we're being honest, I know we're asking a lot of questions. Good job, that's how it should be. What makes us afraid of getting in the game? Talking about the game, understanding, even watching the game is great. But when it actually comes to getting in the game, to actually being involved and running the plays, sometimes we can get gripped with anxiety. Sometimes you can get gripped with Fear. I know this because I don't play sports, and if you asked me to play sports, I'd have a lot of anxiety. But I think when it comes to talking about the Holy Spirit, it can cause some fear in our lives. He's hard to understand, and churches for centuries have been debating how does the Holy Spirit move in the church. And this is a huge topic even in the church today. I can scroll through TikTok or Instagram. I can see all these theological points about how the Holy Spirit should move and how he should act and what his personality is like. We can find ourselves kind of learning everything and just coming to church and going through the motions of our faith, thinking, okay, maybe I am living in black and white. Maybe I am living a bland, monochrome faith. I can look around me. I can say, yeah, I I feel like maybe there's more to this. But I can also find myself being afraid of what that more looks like and what more could be asked of me. I think we desire for the Holy Spirit to guide our lives, but we can be afraid of what he may guide us to. Can we really have the Holy Spirit guiding us? And can we actually hear from God? Can God actually speak to one of us today? How? How do I get the Holy Spirit? And when does that part of my faith actually happen? These are all normal and great questions. I'm glad you asked them. They were questions the disciples had too. For the disciples, it happened in a way I'm sure they weren't expecting. Following around Jesus for three years and then he dies... What about that promised Holy Spirit that you said was going to come? Where, where is the comforter when I need comfort? But then Jesus comes back to life, and it's this mind-blowing, impossible moment, and Jesus proves he is who he says he is. And then John 20 happens, when his disciples are afraid of everything that's been going on around them as they walk through Jesus' death, and now they're walking through his resurrection, and these, lead, these religious leaders are after them, and they're hiding, and they're kind of just in this room that's locked. And then Jesus appears with me in John 20. It says that Sunday evening the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly Jesus, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side. And they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And then again he says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. You know, I read my Bible quite often. That's not a brag, it's just something I do. Clearly you see me up here, I'm a pastor, it's what I do. And I find a lot of joy in it. But I still can mess up. And Miss things by just reading the word so quickly sometimes that I don't recognize a passage in the light of the totality of Scripture and how it relates to the rest of Scripture And this was one of those passages for a long time because I always thought that they didn't receive the Holy Spirit until later I didn't think that this would happen until the next book in the book of Acts That's what I always thought and it was what I was always taught but look at what Jesus said He says, then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Just like God breathed on Adam in Genesis when he created humanity, Jesus breathes on his disciples to show them, you've been born again. Not of water and flesh, but of the Spirit. You've been born of the Spirit. And he tells them, receive the Holy Spirit. Not, now wait to receive the Holy Spirit. Not one day you will get the Holy Spirit. Not you will have access one day to the Holy Spirit. He just breathed and says, receive my spirit. They believed Jesus was the Messiah. They knew he was the son of God who died for the penalty of their sins. And he rose again proving he actually is who he says he is. And upon their belief they received the Holy Spirit. And this Spirit would convict them of their sin, convict them of God's righteousness, convict convict them of Christ's return. That Spirit would teach them everything and guide them in everything. That the Holy Spirit truly comes upon conversion. And like Paul says in Ephesians 1.13, that the Holy Spirit will seal us and our salvation and He guarantees our inheritance. But this left me with a problem. If the Holy Spirit... In this moment, the disciples received him. If this is when the indwelt Holy Spirit does actually enter them and really does come upon that proclamation of faith and salvation, then what happened in Acts? There's this big moment that happens in Acts, and that's the one we talk about. But if this is when they got the Holy Spirit, what happens there? So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 1. And as you're turning there, let me give you a little context. Jesus has been resurrected. This is after he's breathed on the disciples and he's given them the Holy Spirit. And now Jesus is getting ready to officially leave and go to prepare a place for us with the Father. So he asks the disciples all to gather again in this one place in this one time. And he says this, starting in verse 1. And the the first line is the author writing about it. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instruction through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he actually was alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. So after Jesus' resurrection, he stayed on the earth for 40 days, and it says he appeared to the apostles, the disciples, from time to time. He didn't stay with them all 40 days, but he would appear to them in different moments. But in verse 2, it tells us that Jesus continued to give them instruction through the Holy Spirit. Check it out again. Until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. Jesus was giving instructions through the Holy Spirit. He relied on the indwelling Spirit to give instructions to the apostles who also had the indwelling Spirit. The Holy Spirit was already working in the lives, guiding and teaching and instructing them. So if the Holy Spirit really is a guide, when would you ever have a guide that was silent? Think about it. If I had a guide guiding me through the woods and he said nothing, that wouldn't be a guide. That would just be someone standing next to me. But a guide leads us, a guide teach us. So then Jesus goes on to say this. Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Which gives me a whole bunch of questions. Right? Jesus, while eating with them, again drops another bomb. It seems like Jesus has this thing for when he's eating a meal to really lay these heavily, heavy topics on you and he tells them, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of the Father. And he then reminds them of his cousin John, John the Baptist. He said, John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. But didn't they already receive the Holy Spirit? Back in John 20. So what's going on? When we when we put our faith in Jesus, it's clear we receive the Holy Spirit. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and born again, not by flesh, but by the Spirit. And this seals our salvation and gives us access to the Father and puts us in right standing with God. But here, Jesus is now talking about something called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And as I'm reading it, I'm telling you, I'm wrestling with this, I'm learning. I'm trying to come in humility this morning and just tell you this is where I'm wrestling. He's not talking about something called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it seems like this is something different. This is something more. This is another encounter after salvation. Think of how the original disciples would have heard this promise. Jesus said, I told you before, John baptized with water. This has to bring up memories or at least thoughts about what John's baptism was and what John said about Jesus when he was baptizing people. And as John was baptizing people, he said, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. So much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave or even carry his sandals. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The wording they used, John and Jesus, was baptism. And when you look up the word or when you talk about what John was talking about, it means a full immersion to be soaked, drenched, overwhelmed, and engulfed by water. So when John says Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire, and Jesus says in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit, the apostles are thinking, not just some random moment you can't see, but a full, immersed, soaked, drenched, overwhelming, engulfed moment with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus says to wait for this. He goes on in verse 8 to say, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, all the way to the ends of the earth. What they're waiting for is to receive the Holy Spirit. Then, he says, wait! Wait! And when you receive that spirit of power, then you will be Christ's witnesses through Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. When they are baptized in the Holy Spirit, then he will empower them to go spread the gospel throughout the world. And he will really guide them and provide them with everything they need to go. Because he will come in the power they need. What will that look like? What fear comes with that? Will it be what we expected? Would it be what they actually need? Will it really be better? What did waiting look like? Was it everyday anticipation, like a kid on Christmas, like, I can't wait for it to come? And there's just anticipation and excitement. Or were there moments of frustration? Did something, maybe he isn't coming. How long will it take? Scripture doesn't answer that. And I don't ever want to speculate. So let's just find out what happened. Let's continue on to Acts 2. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. So this is ten days later, like a week and a half they waited. Verse 2, suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. So we have to know this is about like 120 people. This isn't just the disciples. This is a whole bunch of people gathered in this room, and then this mighty windstorm comes, and all of a sudden there's something like a fire that's like a tongue, and it dwells and rests upon these people, and all of a sudden they're speaking in other languages. It's in this moment of power that the disciples are now baptized by the Holy Spirit, drenched, soaked, overwhelmed, and engulfed by the Holy Spirit. This is when what John the Baptist said comes to fulfillment. That they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. And this was that moment. It says that the Holy Spirit began to fill them. Everyone present in the room was filled with the Holy Spirit. Bring them into a moment of fullness with God. To full intimacy with God and his love filling the believer up and giving them the strength they need to accomplish his work and ultimately to aid and help them into being more like him, like Jesus. They now not only have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside them, but now they're overflowing with a fullness of the Spirit that will enable them now to go into the world and spread the news of the kingdom. Amen? If they were really going to follow Jesus— If they were really going to obey his commands and and go after his will, they were going to need the Holy Spirit. I think the same thing is for us. If we want to follow Jesus, if we want to obey his commands, if we really want to desire what he desires, we need the fullness. We need the Holy Spirit. If we truly want to follow after Jesus and become more like him and imitate him, we can't do this without that supernatural encounter of the Holy Spirit. And now I know I said supernatural, so some ears perked up like, what's he talking about? I love how Jesus tells them to wait for this moment. They believed. They believed back in John 20. But Jesus tells them before they go, wait for this baptism. Wait for this fullness. Because they would then overflow with the Holy Spirit and rely on his strength to spread the message, to become more like Christ in all things. Have we experienced this fullness? have we experienced this not just talking about it not just thinking about what it would be like but have we experienced the baptism of the holy spirit come in power in our own lives i always thought and was taught that this was just for them just for these people at this moment in time but as i continue to look and read scripture i have to ask myself is that true is what jesus and the disciples described is that true looking at how Christ described the Holy Spirit and his coming, and then we read how this happens in Acts 2. Do we really think the Holy Spirit is just dwelling within us and doing nothing else? But Jesus said they will receive power and the power will guide them, and he calls it a gift from the Father. Have you, have I, encountered this overwhelming power of God in our lives? Are we able to be filled by the Holy Spirit just like they were? The baptism of the Holy Spirit is part of God's purpose for his people. He didn't just save us so one day we can go to heaven, but he saved us so we could be full of him and have this vibrant, beautiful relationship with him here now on earth. And we're, we're sitting here thinking, is, is there more to faith? Is there, is there more to following Jesus? The answers are resounding Yes. He wants us to be filled with His Spirit so that we can live in the fullness of Him and have a real sense of satisfaction, a real sense of peace. Not just moment by moment or service by service, peace where I feel good when I'm singing this song, but everywhere I go, even when times are hard, I feel this satisfaction, I feel this peace just welling up inside me that I can't contain and I can't control. But I think our our understanding of the Holy Spirit and His purpose in our lives has made us limit our experience with Him limit ourselves to the fullness we have. After this amazing moment in Acts, you see everything change. You see that the Holy Spirit, he's actually the main character of this book. I know it's called the Acts of the Apostles, but really it's the act of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit begins working in the life of the believer throughout the book. And he's making these disciples who at once were so terrified and afraid of everything, and the Holy Spirit comes into their lives, and now they have boldness, and he's making them fearless, that the believer is meant to be fearless. And when we have fear, we can take it to the Holy Spirit. And he goes, I got you. I'm going to give you the boldness you need. I'm going to give you the courage you need. Right after this experience, Peter stands up and addresses the crowd, who they're witnessing. What they're witnessing. He's like, hey, I know this is all going on, but let me tell you what's actually happening. And this is Peter, who a few books ago is so afraid of everything, he disowns Christ. And now he's standing in boldness, filled with the Holy Spirit, addresses the crowd and says this, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my Spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. Peter's talking about the last days. That's us. That's now. From Peter then to us now, we've been in the last days. You can feel it. This promise is for us that God has poured out his spirit upon all people and we will see visions and we will dream dreams all from this overflow of his Holy Spirit filling us up from the inside. That we can actually experience God. God has promised to pour out his Spirit upon all people. And he described that it happens with experiences, with dreams and visions. He doesn't just say that the Holy Spirit will dwell in us and that's it. But that's kind of what we fall into believing. That the Holy Spirit's just in us. And it's like a glorified Jiminy Cricket who's just a good conscience. But that isn't how God is describing the Holy Spirit. That isn't what we saw happen to the disciples They were filled and became bold and prophesied that the evidence of the Holy Spirit is boldness and prophecy, proclaiming the word of God to the world. That Holy Spirit isn't a passive person in our lives, but he's an active guide strengthening us in our faith. But maybe, and this is what I wrestle, maybe this was an experience just for them. Maybe it isn't for everyone. Again, we have to see what Scripture says. And in Acts chapter 8, there's this man named Philip, one of the disciples, and he goes to Samaria and he preaches the word of God there and says that they accept it. They accept that Jesus is the Lord and they, and they begin to follow him. They put their faith in Jesus. And look at what happens in verse 14. When the apostles, though, were in Jerusalem, heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. And as soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. Can you see while I'm wrestling with what I've been taught as a kid? Again, there were, it was a different moment. It wasn't a salvation moment. They had that with Philip, but on a separate occasion where people who put their faith in Jesus then receive and are filled with the Holy Spirit upon the laying of hands. Okay, well, let's look at another story. Let's look Acts chapter nine, the story of Paul. And in this one, he's referred to as Saul. And he's persecuting the early church, throwing people into prison, breathing murderous, murderous threats to them. And on the way to persecute another church, Jesus meets him in a vision and actually speaks to him. And it reveals, Paul, or at the time Saul, you've been persecuting the church. You've been persecuting me. And he reveals himself as the Messiah and blinds Saul. And then God speaks to a man named Ananias somewhere else and says that he's supposed to go find Saul and lay hands on him and pray for him. But get this, he doesn't go and preach at him. He doesn't go to Saul and lay out, well, this is what happened, and gives a full gospel presentation. It says this, so Ananias went and found Saul and he laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, after a salvation moment, someone comes and prays for him and then he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you starting to see a flowing pattern here? This isn't just the only verses in the scriptures that talk about this. There are many more moments where we see the filling and manifestation of the Holy Spirit coming after moments of conversion, but not in that, that instant. But time goes on, and then they have a filling. That's called a deeper life. God is calling us to a deeper life in Him. Not just acknowledgement of His Son, but an experience and a relationship with the spirit that brings us into this relationship with God. Not just knowledge of him, but actual experiences of him where we can feel his leading and we can experience his presence in our lives. And that presence is what forms us into the image of his son. That presence is what guides us into our next steps of faith towards Jesus. Because that's what we say every week, right? We want to take your next step towards faith in Jesus. We can't do that without the Holy Spirit. He has to lead us to be more like him. The Holy Spirit takes us the rest of the way. We can only get so far on our own. But do you want that? Do we want that? If we really want to see the world change around us, if we want to see people change around us, if we want to change to be more like Christ, we can't do so without the Holy Spirit. And I know some of you know this, and some of you are already walking in that. We have to keep telling the church, because it seems like some of the church has forgotten, or maybe... Like Samaria, some, some of the church was never told. Another misconception I think we can fall into is that maybe this isn't just for the disciples. Maybe we can really be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that moment I have with the Holy Spirit was so good, but it can only happen that one time. Is this a one-time occurrence that we have to carry with us the rest of our lives? And Oh yeah, remember when I was that teenager? Or remember that time at church when I really felt the presence of God? Because what happens when I feel like I experience God so tangibly, but then times goes by and I don't feel him anymore? Or I was living for God so wholeheartedly, and now I feel like he's the back burner of my life. Paul says this in the book of Ephesians to the church of Ephesus. He says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Nice little tip there. But then he says this, instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us we are to be careful and not live like fools. And we've all done foolish things, right? I can't stand up here and say I haven't done foolish things. We're human. We all sin, and we all fall into temptation. We all fall short. But Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, but continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit. A more accurate translation would be continue being filled with the Holy Spirit. Meaning that this is not a one-time moment, but a continual one. That we, disciples, believers, followers of Jesus, are to continue to experience a baptism. Continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because we leak. We're human We leak through our sin. It's like if I had a cup here and my sin drilled a hole in it. The cup's going to drain. We leak even through the outpouring of our service. As I pour into other people, like, oh, you need some more glass in your cup. Let me give you some of mine. And, oh, you need some. Let me give you some of mine. And my cup slowly begins to drain. But the beauty is it's not just one and done. But we can continue to be filled, continue to be led by the Holy Spirit, and continue to manifest it will experience the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit. Peter does not just get filled at Pentecost in Acts 2. A few chapters later in Acts, Paul is, or Peter is filled again, and he speaks boldly to elders and rulers. Later on in Acts 4, the believers are being persecuted for their faith, and look what happens when they pray to God about the persecution. They say, Oh Lord, hear their threats. Give us, your servants, Great boldness in preaching your word. Notice they don't say, get those, those enemies out of here. They say, give us boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through your name of your holy servant Jesus. And after this prayer, <laughs> the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they preach the word of God with boldness. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. They relied on the Holy Spirit for their boldness, and all of a sudden they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and the room began to shake, and they go off preaching the word of God with boldness. The Holy Spirit fills them again, and with power shook the room and gave them courage and gave them the words and gave them boldness. The key to the success of the church in Acts wasn't in their own strength in themselves, but a complete reliance on the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm reading this and I'm like, that is awesome. And then my flesh, part of me goes, that would never happen today. I would even be afraid to expect that because if it didn't happen, what would that mean? Today, I believe many of us haven't, Receive the filling of the Holy Spirit. That many of us have talked about the Holy Spirit, have gathered in knowledge of the Holy Spirit. Probably have acquired more head knowledge than even the early disciples had when it came to who the Holy Spirit is. But we ourselves never asked or sought out the Holy Spirit. If we want to be more like Christ, if we want to have impact on the world around us, if you want more of God, like we've been saying this morning, but I want more of you, God and experience a fullness of Him, and His leading, and His guiding, and His teaching, it begins with asking for the Holy Spirit. Like I said, don't, don't mishear me. I'm not saying if you fully believe in Jesus, you don't have the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that. If you believe that He's the Son of God, and he, he died for your sins, and you believe He rose again, and you're following Him, you have the Holy Spirit. But I'm saying there's something more than that that we can experience. So how do we receive the filling of the Holy Spirit? That's a big question for me to unpack on a Sunday morning. And I'm probably going to get it wrong. But I'm going to try in humility to explain this. Right, when I picture this, when I picture the Holy Spirit, I always picture a cup or a glass. And when we put our faith in Jesus, we're, we're given the Holy Spirit. It's like we're given this cup and he represents the Holy Spirit. And it's like we've been in the desert dying of thirst, or you just ran 26.2 miles, accidentally ran 27.2 miles, and they give me this cup of water. give you this cup of water. And we quickly drink it all up because we've been desperate for something to drink. We've been desperate for something. We've been desperate for faith. And we drink it all up and we're like, yes. And then we're with other people and we're like, oh, this is so great. Let me pour into you. And let me pour into you. You've got to taste this water. It'll be like nothing you ever tasted before. And we, and we drink together and we're like, yes. But then as time progressed, our cup begins to empty. We, we never lose the cup though. That's the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's that. John 20, receiving the Holy Spirit, he's given us this cup that will stay with us forever and he'll never rip out of our hands. But the filling of the Spirit, whether it be from sin or, or leaking, by pouring into others, walking in the filling of our cup, begins to drain and empty. But God wants to continue with this never-ending pitcher of water to keep giving us that fresh filling into our cups. That the filling of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit is endless and can continue to fill our cup. So how do we receive this filling? If we want to stop, if we want to just stop talking about the Holy Spirit and debating the Holy Spirit, or talking about what it would look like if we followed the Holy Spirit, or what it would look like if we actually put that into action. How will we actually put this into practice? To receive the Holy Spirit, we have to be in pursuit of Him. The Holy Spirit is the promised gift of the Father, and we should wait and pray for His arrival in our lives. In Acts 1, while the disciples were waiting for the promised Holy Spirit, they weren't just sitting idly by, but they said that they were gathered together constantly in prayer. It's building our endurance. It's building our hope. It's keeping us focused. When we see anyone being filled by the Holy Spirit, there's usually a waiting period. We know the disciples waited days. Some waited months. Others waited years. Some experienced it the same day as their salvation. But it's in the waiting that we prepare, we pray, and we wait expectantly. It's in the waiting that we prepare, we pray, and we wait expectantly. Too many times, it's in the waiting that we can feel discouraged. We can begin to think, oh, well, maybe he won't come through, or maybe this isn't real. We have to guard ourselves from being impatient and use that time to pray and trust and seek. I I watch it happen to teenagers so often, where we want these quick results, we want it now— but well, Adults are no different. Like, think about the fast food culture we live in. Can't do a video past a minute because then it won't get any views. Like We want quick results. We want it now. But God is preparing our hearts when we wait. The waiting should build up our anticipation of what's going to come. It just continues to build up our expectancy. Even the waiting is surrendering to God because we're saying, God... I want it now, but I'm going to trust and surrender to your timing and your desire. We are in pursuit of Him. We're in pursuit of the Holy Spirit when we ask. To be in pursuit of the Holy Spirit, we have to step out of the what-ifs and what would it look like and how would it be and get to the asking. Jesus says in Luke 11, verse 13, so if you sinful people, and he's talking about humanity, right? If you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? If we want to know how to give, if if we know how to give good gifts to each other, how much more will God give us the Holy Spirit when we ask him for the Holy Spirit? if we really want to receive the Holy Spirit, if we really want to pursue Him, we have to ask and we have to lean on His promise that no matter how long it takes, He will be faithful to His promise. Also, we have to make sure that when we're in pursuit of the Holy Spirit, that it's just that. We're in pursuit of Him. Not power, not some parlor trick, not something I can say is cool that I did at a party. We're in pursuit of Him, and whatever He desires, whatever that experience would look like. And it might be different. It might be personal. But if we're truly pursuing Him, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, God, if we're pursuing Him, it's not when we're in pursuit of what He gives. We're just in pursuit of knowing Him more. Amen? To receive the Holy Spirit, we need to receive prayer. Today, as we unpack these scriptures, we read multiple accounts of these people receiving the Holy Spirit. The people of Samaria... There's Paul. There's Cornelius in Acts 10. The disciples again in Acts 19. We see the believers receive the Holy Spirit when they're prayed over and with the laying on of hands. That when they would pray for the believers, they would lay their hands on them and pray that they would receive the Holy Spirit. Laying on of hands is one of the ways we receive the Holy Spirit. And I don't know how it works. I'm not even going to try and make something up of how it works. It's just what I see in Scripture. That the church would be a place of prayer and we would pray together, but also that we would pray for each other and pray over each other. One of the ways we see the Holy Spirit move is through prayer. What would it look like if we spent real time in prayer with and for each other to receive the Holy Spirit, to take our burdens to the throne of God together and pray bold prayers where we put all of our chips in and we put everything on the table and say, God, together we're coming asking for more of you, God. God. For you to set a fire down in our souls to move through this church that together we surrender our plans and our agendas and our goals and we just say, I want more of you, God. Then we do what the disciples said and exampled. We lay hands on each other. Too many times I think we use prayer as this transitional note or something to do just before a meal. But this is us talking to our Father and asking God for more of him, and trusting him to answer. When was the last time, and I know for some of you it was this week, but when was the last time you spent praying boldly asking for more, and not just playing it safe, and not just lobbing up a comfortable prayer, but getting out of our comfort zone and asking God for what he's promised us? Not to do good on a math test, not that I can get that parking spot closer to the door, But to pray that bold prayer of what he's already promised us. He's going to come because he told us to ask for it. But we shy away from real prayer. I think we're all guilty of this at some point in our lives. Shy away even from asking people for prayer. Or we shy away when someone says, Hey, can I pray for you? We're like, No, I'm good. But what if we did let people pray for us? What if we boldly prayed for someone else in the room this morning? What would that, how would that make us more like Jesus? Are you willing to ask him? Are we willing to have people ask for us, for the Holy Spirit and pray over us? Lastly, too, and this is not points. When I say lastly, it's not points. I, I don't have any points. But to receive the Holy Spirit, we need to seek. And the way we seek him is in confession. When we all sin, drilling holes into our cup, and it causes us to leak and walk out of that filling of the Holy Spirit. Anytime we sin, it's as if we're saying, we know more than God. And it's like putting a, a hand on top of that cup, saying like, no, no, I'm in control of my supply. It's no longer letting God, no longer letting the Holy Spirit take the lead. And instead, we're taking the lead of our own lives. And our sin hinders us in our filling of the Holy Spirit, in our pursuit of Him. Sometimes it's really easy to get rid of the big sins and not focus on the small ones, but the Holy Spirit who dwells within us convicts of sin. And if we ask him to search us and know us, he'll reveal to us the areas that we haven't walked in surrender. We have the opportunity to enter back into obedience by confessing our sin to God and one another, not for gossip, not just so I can... So you can know what's going on in my life or I can hear what's going on in yours. But it's so that we can confess to one another so we can say, hey, I'm wrestling with this. And I went to God with it, but I'm telling you because I, I, there's, there's power in speaking it out. Before we pray for the Holy Spirit to fill us, it, we have to have this act of repentance. Because repentance prepares our hearts and prepares our cup to receive a fresh filling. Before we pray to the Holy Spirit to fill us, we pray for God to empty us of our sinful desires, and He will give us the strength to deny ourselves and desire more of Him. Today, we want to give a chance for us to seek this baptism of the Holy Spirit, this filling of the Holy Spirit. I said in the beginning of this message, I don't want to be a person that just tries to learn, understand, and process. I want to be someone who does. I want to be a doer of the word and I think that's our hearts cry together. Some of us are doing that already and some of us have walked away from that. I want to practice seeking the presence of God because I really want the Holy Spirit. I hope you hear my heart. I believe that we can hear the Holy Spirit working in our lives and leading us and I have to tell you that that we planned this series months ago. And I knew, Jimmy, Pastor Jimmy talked to me, like, hey, you want to do a series? I was like, sure. He's like, on what? I was like, I don't know. And I was like, I think I want to do it on the Holy Spirit. And I wanted to change my mind. I was like, ugh. I just can't get the, the seeking of the Holy Spirit off my mind. So I said, ah, can I do it on this? And he goes, sure. And as we began to prepare and look at when those weeks would line up and where they would fall, we didn't look at a church calendar, right? We just looked at a regular Apple calendar. And we thought, oh, well, these three weeks would be good we plan, we pick those weeks. And as we were preparing, you know what we realized? Today we celebrate 50 days after Easter. 10 days after we celebrated Jesus sending into heaven to prepare a place for us. Today in the church calendar, the church globally chooses to celebrate Pentecost. Today the church globally remembers what happened in Acts 2. That today we celebrate when the original disciples were baptized, drenched, soaked, engulfed in the Holy Spirit. Do you understand the significance of this? That today we're talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit when the church globally celebrates the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I'm promising you, we didn't plan this. I just knew I had to preach on it. and I, knew, I told them, I said I'd be disobedient if I didn't talk about this. And then I get an email from our district superintendent of the denomination, and he goes, hey, I would like every church to talk about Pentecost on Pentecost Sunday. I was like, we're already doing that, and we didn't plan it. And then everything in my logic brain wanted to go, well, isn't that a nice coincidence? But what if it was really the Holy Spirit right now saying, I want my church, I want my people to experience me in a new way, because it's been the same way all these years. I, I promise you, I'm, I'm speaking in true humility here, man. I, I didn't know. But I, I come home after reading at the gym in an email, and I come home, and I, I go to my wife with tears in my eyes, and say, like, I know I'm supposed to preach this. If this was my last message, i go, I'm good. I'm, I'm pretty much done. I could retire tomorrow. So why not put this into practice, church? Today we have people willing to pray with you and over you to receive the Holy Spirit. That this is us coming to God and saying, we want more of you. We aren't coming with an agenda or what, something that has to happen or what should happen. We're coming with open hands to say, God, I just want more of your spirit. And we believe that you said you would give if we ask. So we are asking for it and we'll wait on you. Today, will you let the Holy Spirit lead you into your next step? Maybe you're sitting in a place where you've never accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior and you don't have that indwelling spirit. We want to pray with you to follow him and that you will receive that spirit. Maybe you've never experienced this baptism of the Holy Spirit. We want to pray with you that you would feel the encounter and love of God, maybe for the first time. Maybe you you felt him before, many times or times before, and now you're saying, but I need a fresh filling. We want to pray with you. Maybe you need to take a moment to confess sin. We'll pray with you as you do that. And if you need someone to, be, to listen, we'll pray with you and over you. As we enter into the celebration of communion, we want to open the table and the floor for you to come partake. But we do, like I said, have people willing to pray. So you can kind of see chairs set up and people will be there. If you want to receive prayer, I ask that you hold back from taking communion and you get prayed for. And then you take communion. Communion. And you can go and have a blessed week. If you have examined yourself and you feel like, hey, I'm walking in the filling. And I believe there's people in this room who are. You can receive communion and have a blessed week. Or maybe you're sitting here going, I don't know what you just talked about for the longest time. Feel free to sit, pray, soak in it, try and understand. And then you can have a blessed week as you go. We're not resolving the service. We're just going to put some music on in the background a little bit, not to make a moment. It's just so that you can't hear what's going on if people are sharing something private. But I'm going to pray and we're going to go into, but before we do that, I want to throw this out to you. What are you afraid of? Some of us are afraid that our lives will change forever and God will call us to give everything up. And some of us, like me, are afraid that nothing will happen. That I'll go up for prayer, I'll confess that sin, and I'll ask for his filling, and nothing. But I want to be obedient in asking. I want to be obedient in asking and waiting, and praying, and being expectant. Funny enough, I know, I'm, don't get too sidetracked. Will Smith, <laughs> before he slaps Chris Rock, um, actually talks about fear quite a bit, and I think he puts it best, so let's watch this clip together.
1: For me, the, the daily confrontation with fear has become a real practice for me since about three, three years ago. I went skydiving. Trust. I got to stand up. I'm sorry. I got to stand up. I gotta stand up. All right. So what happens is you go out with your friends and somebody says, Yeah, we should go skydiving tomorrow. And you go, Yeah, we'll go skydiving tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. And you go, Yeah. And everybody goes, Yeah. Right. And you go home by, you're by yourself. You're like, Hmm. So then that night, you're laying in your bed and you just keep (sighs) And you're terrified, you keep imagining over and over again, jumping out of an airplane and you can't figure out why you would do that. So you get onto the airplane and you're sitting there and and, you know, it's extra because you're sitting on some dude's lap, some stranger. (laughs) So you fly and you go up to 14,000 feet and somebody opens the door. And in that moment you realize you've never been in an airplane with the door open. (laughs) Terror, 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 terror. And then people start going out of the airplane. And the guy walks you up to the end of the thing and you're standing and your toes are on the edge and you're looking out down to death. They say, on three, one, two, and he pushes you on two because people grab on three. And you fall out of the airplane. And in one second, you realize that it's the most blissful experience of your life. You're flying. zero fear you realize that the point of maximum danger is the point of minimum fear the lesson for me was why were you scared in your bed the night before what do you need that fear for everything up to the stepping out There's actually no reason to be scared. And then in that moment, all of a sudden where you should be terrified is the most blissful experience of your life. And God placed the best things in life on the other side of fear.
0: I think it's interesting that God says to fear him. And then once we do, he says, fear not. Today, maybe we're meant to take a leap of faith. What are we afraid of? I challenge you to take a moment and pray about that and seek God about that. But sometimes on the other side of fear is the best thing, a life of full color. If we really want to step out of our comfort zones, we need the help of the Comforter. Why do we need the Holy Spirit? Because with him we can experience true, real joy. Not fear, joy. God promised us this. You may have to wait, but he keeps good on his promises. So now we're going to pray, and then I'll open communion, and you guys can have a good week. Um, if I ask that, would you bow your heads and extend your hands forward and your palms up? God. We humbly come to you, O oh Lord. Not with answers or agendas or... We just come expectant. And Holy Spirit, we're asking that we receive your Holy Spirit this morning. Humble us, O God, our King, that we may know you and we may experience you maybe for the first time or for maybe the hundredth time because each time is so good. How can I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good and never walk away? I want to taste and see that the Lord is good. So this morning... Will you move in this place? Will you will you rest on us, Holy Spirit? And if you want the room to shake, will it shake? But if you want the room to be still and silence, will it be silent? Because it's about what you want. We want to pursue the gift giver, not the gift. But you tell us, oh Father, you tell us to ask for him. Today we ask. Today we humble ourselves before you, O God, and say, Jesus, you really are the Christ. You died and you rose again for us. Fill us, O King. Fill us, Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, have a good week, everybody.